Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Hello and welcome to today's Forest Spotlight on a subject that is very dear to my heart, one of my favorite things to do, the art of tracking. So if you're a forest educator or you're just getting into the idea of taking children out into nature and, uh, you know, making nature come alive for them or bring it into your classroom, or you already have a program, uh, you've probably encountered the concept or the word tracking or being a tracker over your time diving into this. And, you know, there's a reason for that because anybody who really lives close to nature oftentimes naturally becomes an animal tracker of sorts because you're always finding things out in nature that is evidence that something is happening. Something happened and you're like, hey, I wonder who I wonder who dug a bunch of dirt out from under that rock or hey, how come all the bark is stripped off that tree? Like you're you're going to have experiences in which tracking is going to come up at least if not the word or the concept tracking, but the actual activity of asking questions and saying, what happened here? Who did this? Why did they do it? How did they do it? When did they do it? Like these are all really important things to a tracker. To anyone who is studying people that lived close to the earth, you know, whether they're still living close to the earth or, you know, did 500 years ago or whatever, tracking was really really important because we didn't have GPS units. We didn't have radar. We didn't have a ring doorbell with video monitoring. And so everything that we knew about our environment when we weren't there came as a result of animals that went out and tracked when they were out there looking at what's going on around them, seeing, you know, who came by all of that. And it became very important for two big, big reasons. One of them is to stay alive up until, you know, whatever, a couple thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, we had the megafauna, we had massive bears, we had the dire wolves, we had mountain lions, we had, whatever saber tooth tigers. Uh, If you go back far enough, 10,000 BC, like we had predators that were very deadly. We were not the top of the food chain by any sense of the imagination. Uh, And, those animals were a threat. And then even as the megafauna died out and we had mountain lions and grizzly bears and rattlesnakes and everything else, all of those animals are also a, a threat. So you really, when you're in grizzly bear country, you pay attention. I walk through the forest in a different way when I'm in Montana or my Wyoming or whatever, uh, Alaska or something, as opposed to where I am here upstate New York, where there really is almost no pet poisonous snakes and, you know, bears will typically run away from you by, you know, the vast majority of the time, other than getting sprayed by a skunk or maybe, you know, getting some porcupine quills in my foot or something. If I really was going out of my way to mess with them, there isn't a lot that would really attack me or, you know, potentially cause me to die from a wildlife standpoint. But for our ancestors, protection was a huge issue. And the other issue that tracking is really important is food. 
Like it, it is the way that you could keep track of animal movements. Uh, most of our ancestors were hunter gatherers. So we were hunting, um, getting, you know, deer and other animals and tracking is a way to understand how animals move, where they're going, what they're doing and to be able to, uh, regularly put food on the, on the table. If you will, tracking is one of the only ways to do that. That traditionally has been our, our source of, you know, passion and, you know, staying alive for fear and staying alive because we want to eat. Those are the key elements. And that's, that's been built into our DNA for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years here. So, so that is part of who we are biologically, like when we go out there and start looking at deer tracks and animal tracks, it feels different when you're, you know, like there's a feeling in the back of your brain buzzing around, like I've done this before. This feels familiar. This feels real. Like what, what is this trying to tell me what's going on here? And that is something that makes tracking the act of doing these things and asking these questions and, and trying to solve that really powerful. There's a lot of argument that people can make. I've heard some trackers say that they believe that the the birth of science occurs when we become trackers because tracking is literally asking a lot of those scientific questions of, Hey, what is, you know, what is that animal track? And then people go, well, uh, I think it's a bear. And you go, okay, well, why do you think it's a bear? And, uh, well, where's, if it's a bear, why is there only three toes showing, you know, where are the other toes, you know, and then you have to kind of like prove that what you what you think is a bear is actually a bear. And sometimes you prove it by taking 10 more steps and seeing a big, nice clear print in the sand later. Maybe sometimes you actually see a print in a bunch of leaves or pine needles. But whatever it is, maybe you find a big pile of, you know, bear scat and you're like, okay, yeah, that looks like a bear. Whatever it is, it, it makes you back up what your theory is with evidence. And so I really believe that that's true. And at the same time, tracking also gives us an ability to um, see our environment and to be able to feel, oh, okay, yeah, right now I'm walking around in the middle of the day, but I can see evidence of all the deer that were here in this little meadow last night eating all these succulent tips of blackberry bushes. And so I can just see them in my mind's eye and I can see that they were here and know that they're okay and that they were not being chased by anything. And I can see where fawns were jumping around playing with each other. Like, you know, you can, you can actually see, I, I've actually seen in the grass a spot where a, a, a doe stood for a long time and had a fawn, you know, bent over and was, was nursing. And you could see the, the tracks for both of them, this tiny little fawn footprints and then the doe. And they were both standing there and wiggling, moving around a little bit. And, and that just like created this little vibration or whatever, if you will, where their tracks really got, you know, dialed in deep into the ground. And I just remember walking by that and going, Hey, why is that like that? And then I saw the, where the doe was standing, where the fawn was standing. I went, Oh, Oh, it was nursing. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Boy, they, she were nursed for a long time before they moved. That's must've been really hungry. So anyway, it's, it's a way to connect. And it's a wonderful thing to do and to practice and to learn about. And, and any chance you get to study with a tracker, go on a class, take a day-long program, it, it will almost always be eye-opening and, and really fun and 
be a way in which you feel connected in a bigger way to the natural world. But let's look at tracking from the perspective of a, as a forest educator. So if you're someone that says, hey, I'm going to be teaching children and I'm going to be leading children, I'm going to be educating children, I'm going to just be out in the woods with a bunch of kids and I don't know what's happening. Any of those will be good, are still going to apply. Uh, if you're doing that, you know, one of the things that I try to always remember is that it's very difficult to get children to get excited about animal tracking because most children don't know anything about animals. Like what they know is almost nothing. I don't know whether they're not watching enough Animal Planet. I'm not sure if they're reading anything, which probably is true. But most children do not know you know, typically how many baby foxes are born and when foxes are born. They don't know, you know, when deer go into the rut unless their parents are hunters or something. Like they don't know a lot about animals. And if you don't know a lot about animals, then tracking is kind of like a intellectual exercise that you're easily and immediately bored with because you basically hit a brick wall almost immediately. So it's really, really important if you want children to learn about uh, animals through, through tracking to start beginning them learning about those animals and where they live, what they like, what kinds of foods they eat. You don't need to necessarily teach everybody all the intellectual stuff. You just need to get them excited and inspired about animals to begin with. So the younger they are, the more those children are living in a magical world, a mythological world. So for them, a fox is like this wild dog, but it's kind of like a cat too and it's it's like just this beautiful beautiful creature you just want to cuddle but at the same time it's it's elusive and you rarely see them and they're they're pretty cool uh you know mice also awesome you know and and children can relate to them on a on an archetypal level these different animals wolves and bears and deer and everything. And the more they learn about animals, the more likely they are to identify with one of them. You know, so some people will identify as with otters because otters are so playful and fun and, you know, so graceful as they move through the water and slide and everything. And other people relate to beavers with the being that they're, they're industrial. They're, they're, you know, cutting branches and burying them in the creek to for a winter food source or they're building a dam or they're like they're just working to modify their environment and then you know they're kind of like the minecrafters of uh the nat- nature world and you know we could keep going on all these animals like they're each carrying a certain vibe a certain energy a certain um value that they have and so it, it doesn't really matter where you start, although you get to start by mostly looking at who are you working with and then picking what feels right from there. In our summer camps, I used to start by teaching children about animals by doing what we called animal journals. So we would actually have a little basket that had little cards and in each of the cards, it was printed a, a name of an animal. And they would have to, sometimes we'd put like the Latin name if we wanted to get all tricky and fancy and, you know, kind of fool the kids and go, they'd be like, what? You know, (laughs) it's this. Oh no, I don't even know what that is. And you're like, okay, you got to look it up in a field guide or whatever, which is, you know, not that hard to do, but got them opening and cracking field guides. Sometimes I just put down jumping mouse or woodland jumping mouse, or I put down redback vole, or I put down, 
you know, whatever it is, uh, American mink or, you know, bobcat or something. So you get to pick and choose what you put in there based on who's in your environment. And then the children would pull those out. And sometimes we'd even have them team up. Like we'd actually have groups of children. If they were younger, we'd say, okay, you three, you're going to pick one. Somebody picks one. They go, okay, you guys are, you guys, the three of you are going to research and read and learn about bobcats. And then you're going to draw some of the bobcats. We give you some piece of paper. You get to, you know, or we have a nature journal and you get to kind of like get some of that info that will help you to understand them a little better. And then after they get that, then they have a few different opportunities in which they get to do research, look at field guides, share those, make the drawings. And then on like the third day, we have an evening program where the children present their animals, you know, like present the stories. So they each get to kind of get up there and say, oh, yeah, Bobcat's uh, a Bobcat den looks like this. Bobcats mate in February, you know, like this is how big they are. Like, and then someone else will step in and say, oh, a Bobcat's diet consists of da 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 da, you know, rabbits and, you know, Eastern cottontails and all that. And, and then, you know, someone else will talk about their mating rituals or some other thing. And, and it, and it becomes this like really cool thing. Usually they're laughing and cracking up. It's, it's a very informal experience. But it's something where they get to brush up on some of their presentation skills at a very early age and also share what they learned about for the animals. And they will feel really awkward about it until that, you know, until they actually get up there and start doing it. And then they kind of get down to business and really share some cool things. And then at the end, anybody who knows something about that animal can also speak in the audience, in the group, in the community. And then we move to the next animal. And, you know, if you have like 15 children, you can do five or six animals and uh, you really learn a lot in those, in that little presentation and they learn a lot about looking them up and, and the things that they learn, they really don't forget kind of ever. Like they really, they really remember those, that, that process of doing that. So, so looking up animals and reading about them, really valuable. The older the children, obviously the more intellectual you can get, the more detailed you can get. So that's one element that I would say, if you're gonna want to teach tracking and you have young children, get them learning about animals. If you have a, a homeschooling group or a forest school or forest kindergartner garden or something, and you're doing that and you want to do this as an activity, I don't know if that would fit for sure in your curriculum or how, your approach. But if you did, like just for example, just for the sake of argument, say you did do that, um, then you can switch those animals around. You can actually add more. You can add more. Like you could add and do that nature journaling and uh, learning five times a year. You could, you know, say, okay, it's February. Now we're going to be talking about all these animals that are running around in the winter, you know, and then you can do that for birds. You can do it for tree. You can do it for a lot of different elements. But the idea here is that you don't want to necessarily try to pack their head full of intellectual knowledge, but you really just want them to have some idea that if they go out, you know, if you don't know anything about animals and you look out in the woods and then you see a track in the ground, they just kind of go like, it's a bear, you know, because that's all they know. They're like, oh, a bear could be out here, you know, and you're like, well. It's the middle of winter. The bears are sleeping. Oh, oh yeah. I didn't know that. And then you're like, oh yeah, these guys don't know anything about bears. So do you get, yeah, you get it. So the point is 
do do that if you can. That that's one way to do it. The nice thing about animal journaling like that is that it's an, something that they're actively doing. So it's not just you getting up there lecturing about and telling them about bears. Although, you know, if you have personal stories, those, those are really powerful too. The other thing I'll remember that I remember most about a lot of my tracking journey was I, I learned a lot with Tom Brown and also with John Stokes. And Tom loved, he, he, that it was, you know, there's a reason why it's called the tracker school. Like Tom is one of the predominant trackers in the U.S. back in the day. And he really dials in on learning about animals and, and tracking and being able to verify what it is you say so that you're not just making a guess and then nobody refutes it. And then you just move on and go, yeah, I guess we saw, I guess we saw a lynx track. You know, and you're like, okay, lynx are typically not in upstate New York uh, where we live, you know? So, so he was really good at that, but he also really championed um, this idea around what I, what he calls the art of questioning. And we've already kind of mentioned it before, but it's really about saying what happened here you know, who did it? When did they do it? How did they do it? Uh, and why? Why were they here? All of those questions are really good questions for people to have in their head, in the back of their mind, because it makes you smarter if you're asking those questions. Like, there's no other way to really say it. If you're asking those questions, then your brain is then going, oh, okay, hey, Ricardo thinks this is important, so I'm going to try to remember this. And if you do that 20, 30, 40 times, at a certain point, your brain just goes, all right, I'm just going to try to solve this all the time. And so then all of a sudden, somebody will point in the ground and go, what's that? And I'm like, oh, oh it looks like a white-tailed deer. And they're like, well, when did it come here? And I'm like, it looked like it came here yesterday afternoon, uh, late afternoon. And then they're like, well, what was it doing? And I said, well, I think it was actually moving away from a bunch of coyotes because I heard some howling, you know, down in the valley last night. And I bet you this, this deer is moving closer to humans because blah, blah, blah. So in other words, like in the back of my mind, it's, it's always percolating because I've, I've have years of, of asking these questions over and over again in all sorts of scenarios. So asking those questions, really key. And if you can get children asking those questions of themselves and each other, then you can just get there and look and listen and laugh at some of their answers and just really have a good time enjoying it. Uh, and, you know, nothing really matters if they get it wrong. It's not the end of the world. It's just us all learning and having fun. These uh, elements, these, the art of questioning and, and learning about animals start to build a foundation. And that foundation of tracking is vast because when you turn around and say, well, when did those tracks happen? Now you open a whole nother can of worms because you're like, oh, okay, now I need to know when, which means I need to have a concept of time. I need to know, you know, how does the ground register or hold tracks three days ago, five days ago, 10 days ago? And, and how is that re related to or affected by the weather? If it's really humid, what does the track look like? If it's really dry, what does the track look like? If it's really wet and rainy, what does the track look like? What does it look like in this kind of soil with clay? What does it look like with gravel? What does it look like in sand? All of the different substrates, if you call it that, as they call it as a tracker, substrates basically is like the different kinds of soil. 
weather weathering really makes you remember, oh, okay, yesterday it rained at 4.30 for about 15 minutes and it rained really hard, but then it stopped and, and it got really windy. And when that happens, you're like, oh, okay, so it got wet, but then it started drying out because the wind is coming up. So you have to become good at remembering the weather. There's a there's a technique called wisdom of the marks that that uh, Tom shared with us, where you basically kind of grind up the ground a little bit to make it like a fresh patch of soil, and you kind of pat it down very lightly so that it's like nice and smooth, but but also something that can hold a track. A track will be met, be able to be made, and then held in that. And then you make a set of marks, one that's like an inch deep, and then one that's like three quarters of an inch, and one that's like half an inch, and one that's a quarter inch, and then one that's an eighth of an inch. And you make a set of marks going all the way across your little box. And I usually mark it with a little bit of string or something so that I can kind of not step on it. And I like to put a little tiny feather, hang that someplace nearby, so I can see which direction the wind is is blowing. And... And the wisdom of the marks is a really great activity because you can go out there and you make a set of marks and you can look and say, hey, this is a fresh set of marks. And then you can look at ones that were made two days ago. You can go back five days ago. You can do, the more you go back, the more you do, the more you can go back and look at them and see how do those different tracks hold up in terms of age in that particular soil. And I usually use popsicle sticks and I kind of put them in, you know, marking the line of track marks that you make. And I usually write the date and then I have a, a little symbol or something that I'll put on there. And then I have a notebook. And then that notebook, I keep a, an account of what was the weather? You know, what was the date? What was the time when we did it? What was the weather? Was it raining? Was it cold? Was it windy? If it was windy, which direction did the wind come from? And then I look at observations and I observe the marks. And I look really close at them. And then I notice, oh, okay, yeah, look at this in mark number one, which is the deepest. Uh, there was a, you know, a teaspoonful of dirt that fell from the top down in uh, due to weathering, due to drying. Huh, okay, I didn't expect that, you know. And then you go, oh, okay, here's mark number two. Oh, there's a little tiny spider web in the bottom of that. Huh, very tiny spider made a little web. Interesting. You know, then you look at, different marks. And sometimes I'll even look at marks from three or four days ago and I'll make some observations. Oh, uh, you know, what was, what were these three days ago? Oh, these ones have a little glaze over them. I'm not sure why they have that glaze. What is that? And sometimes you don't have the answer to those questions because it's just a cumulative absorbing of knowledge that you get. And anytime I've done this, it's been something that you know, a number of children really get into, and then a bunch of them just could not be bothered because they just aren't into it. So if you do try to teach tracking and you do wisdom of the marks or any of these things, just know that could be up to 50% of your group doesn't care. And that's okay. Like I've learned not to worry about it because if they don't care, it's all, it's, it's really, none of this is critical to their, to their life, at least right now. So most of them are going to eat tonight. Most of them aren't going to be attacked by anything. So it's not a big deal. But those that are, it, it, it can be really fun to kind of go into that minutia and see that. And even if you don't do more than three days and then they abandon it and then somebody comes in and knocks stuff over, that's okay. Because 
you can just move on. But at least they saw that. And somewhere in the back of their mind, they're like, oh, yeah, that's how I could learn. So, you know, go do the best you can. Uh, but one of the things that also kind of is important to remember with tracking is that it's not just about footprints. It's not just about toes and claws and heel pads and and seeing a full print of like a a bear track in like soft ground next to a puddle or something. It's really not. Uh, tracking is can be extended all the way to like landscape. You know, you can look at the hills and say, oh, were those hills uh, covered by a glacier 10,000, 12,000 years ago? Oh, why is there a whole bunch of sand at the bottom of that hill? You get to look at the way the river is moving and go, huh, I wonder why that river made a big sharp turn right there. There's no real reason for that. Like each part of the landscape actually is, is a result of something happening in nature, some forces being exerted on it. Certain trees are growing in certain areas. Why? You know, like I, I used to remember thinking about this when I was younger because I would look and say, oh, okay, here's, you know, here's a cherry tree. And, and why is it that there are cherries all up and down these hedgerows along these fields? And I started learning about it and I was like, oh, and why do they have a lot of nut trees in there? Why is there a butternut or a hickory nut in the hedgerow? And there's tons of them all through this whole, all through these fields. And I thought for a while, I thought, oh, maybe the farmer planted them because they wanted to get nuts. And then I'm like, these are hickory nuts. Farmers don't care about that. And then I realized, oh, it's because guess who lives in trees? Squirrels. Guess who plants or berries nuts to save to eat later? Squirrels. So the squirrels went into along the stone walls, put a bunch of nuts in there, and then forgot about them. And eventually one or two of them made it and grew up through. And now 40 years later, there's this big, nice, beautiful hickory tree that's dropping nuts. Same is true for uh, cherries, only usually cherries is either planted by by mice because mice will actually get the pits of the cherries and they will collect them and then use them as a food source in the winter. Or it's usually birds. Birds will go eat cherries, they eat them whole, and then they will fly to a tree in the tree line and then go to the bathroom. And then those true, you know, some of those uh, seeds will find a good spot and start growing. So these are ways that you look at the landscape as a tracker and see, oh yeah, I can see that there were trees and then there were birds and there were squirrels and that there's this whole thing of life, you know, when you look along the hedgerow that we don't usually even think about. We just go, oh, there's a hedgerow and there's a bunch of trees. Neat, neat, you know, whatever. So this just makes you feel a little bit more connected to that. So so that's kind of a macro way way of looking at, you know, the larger perspective. And then you have micro. The micro is like what's going on on the landscape and looking at those individual footprints and like what's going on in those footprints. And then there's, of course, sign tracking. And sign tracking is really about what they call like scrapes in the ground, you know, poop, chews, rubs, beds you know, places where the, where an animal laid down or, you know, rolled around to do a dust bath or something like their sign tracking is just the sign that they were there. It's not necessarily a footprint, but it's still a track that it says, Hey, uh, this is where a bear rubbed against this tree. And, you know, this is where, um, you know, a beaver chewed on and chewed off a, a so the bark of a big willow that fell over. All of these things add up to 
questioning what is happening in our environment. What's what's going on? Who who made this depression in the ground? Was it a bobcat? Was it a a fox? Was it a coyote? Was it a deer? Was it Joe? <laughs> went out and took a nap. Like you don't really know what it is, but it's like all about asking those questions. And it's a really, really wonderful thing to do. If you're into tracking and you, you want some games, I'm going to give you some games. How about that? So why not? So there's these activities. The wisdom of the marks is something I recommend, but usually not right away. I, I like to make sure people know, Hey, I'm really into this before I actually start diving into that. But this is a game that's kind of fun. It's called a 10-step. It's a 10-step activity. I usually get 10, 10 popsicle sticks, and I sharpen the ends of one side of them just to make a little bit of a point so it'll stick in the ground. And then what I do is I have the, a group of, of students that are going to f- try to find all 10 of my footprints. And I will be in sand. I will be in gravel. I will be in on the lawn. I will be in leaves, pine nail. I, I will mix up where I'm going to do the 10 step. And 10 steps is about right. If you do too short, they find it too fast. If it goes, if you did 20 steps, that might take them a little bit too long. These kids will start getting bored. But if you have 10 popsicle sticks, I usually start, I put my one foot down. I put the popsicle stick in the, you know, just behind the heel. The kids all turn with their backs to me. And then I just start walking and I will walk in whatever direction I want. You really don't want to do some weird thing where you're like hopping, jumping, doing some crazy thing because these are kids. <laughs> Give them a break, okay? <laughs> but the point is, is that you're wanting them to find every footprint and they you want them to understand what that footprint, where that depression is, and can that depression give us a clue as to where the next footprint is. And their job, once you get to the end, if you take your 10 steps, you stop, you put your your popsicle stick in the heel of the last one, and then you slowly walk around so you don't step over your own tracks. And then you tell the two students to turn around, they, they get, get out there, and then they have to try to find all 10 footprints in succession. So they have to look at your your first print and they've got to find number two, then they got to find number three. And it's real important that they don't go ahead of themselves, you know, trying to walk around looking at number one and make a circle around it and then destroy two and three. So there's a whole element of like becoming aware of where am I holding and pressing and leaning and putting my hands and so forth to observe. And it's a really cool thing. It just gets them on the ground. They're looking, there's, they're looking at the leaves. They're staring really hard. It's, it's awesome. And then they, they hopefully find all those tracks and get to your last one. And you can help them out if you remember where you were. Um, sometimes it's hard to do. But if you do that in soft soil, it's awesome. If you do it in, you know, like it doesn't have to be the easiest possible thing, but I would do the younger the children are, the more, the more easily I would make it, um, tricky for them. So, you know, make it easy for them so they don't have to feel like they're, um, struggling too much and then they just give up. Right. So, so that's called 10 step and you can make it as hard or as easy as you like. Another one that I would call is that it's one of my favorites called follow the leader. And this is teaches you about stepping into someone else's tracks and being able to see the depression that's made right after their, as their foot lifts up off the ground. So this is where you get the students together and 
they all kind of like walk behind each other. And the goal is for them to step in exactly in whoever is the leader in their footprints. So you just start walking very kind of slowly. And as that person steps and lifts their foot out, the next person has to put their footprint in their foot in theirs and then step and then so on all the way down the line. If you've got 20 kids, probably it's better to break it up. It's good with five or six people to do this. I think if you get into like 10 or 12, it can get a little bit like, you know, the ground is pretty smashed up by the time the, that 20th person gets to it. It's like, okay, I'm just stepping in anywhere because there's a lot of footprints. But if you get like five or six or, or eight students and they're careful, it, you can do this really effectively. And what this does is it helps them understand stride and it helps them understand how to see a depression in the ground. And so you let them step, person steps, lifts their foot up, the other person steps their foot in. So it's very, very close. And then you let them get one step ahead. You know, once they kind of are following and they're doing really well, you go, okay, give it, give it, give them one second. And now that you're having them to look at where their foot lifted up, and then you have to look at the depression, not at their feet. And then that's really cool because they actually will start seeing the depression very clearly. And then you switch partners, you switch the leader, and then all of a sudden you have a really short person going. You have a really tall person. You have a really heavy person. You have somebody whose just stride is a little different. Every time you do that, you are helping them to understand a lot about people that they're tracking and everything. It's it's really cool. So follow the leader. I highly recommend it. I love doing it in, you know, leaves. I love doing it in pine needles. I love doing it in on a lawn, especially if it's a lawn where the grass has grown out a little bit, you know, like it's not just like a freshly mown lawn or a, a golf course, but it's actually the grass is like needs to be cut, but it's not too long. That's a really nice way to go. I like doing it in gravel. I mean, as they get better, be prepared that they will get better very quickly. And, and it's awesome. Another one, another activity, if you're ready, if you're up for it, it's called a closer look. And this is where you just, you get your students, each of them gets a string that's about maybe, I want to say 24 inches long, two feet long. And what you do is you have them tie a knot in it, you know, so it's a, it's a circle. So it's a loop. And then everyone gets a loop and then they go to an area wherever, wherever you want to take them. But you could be in a place that's like in a, a sandy kind of gravelly area, sandy soil with dirt and a few leaves and so forth. And the goal is for them, the idea is for them to lay that out in like a circle and then to just spend 15 minutes looking at everything that's in that circle, like just looking at you know, seeing it, the closer look, the getting right up, like on their stomach doing that. I usually give students cardboard, especially if the ground is kind of wet. I'll give them some dry cardboard. They can lay down on it, put their hands down in their face right up there. And they have to do that. You don't, you don't have to necessarily write, have them write or down. If, if the students kind of skew that way where they are really into journaling it and everything, that's awesome. That's really cool because especially because they'll suddenly turn around and go, Hey, I found a, a mouse tooth. Hey, someone else will find a bone. Someone else will find a little tiny feather. Someone will find the shell of a beetle, a snail shell or a, 
a stone that's like pure white or pure crystal or, you know, I mean, heck, one time I did it and a kid found an arrowhead and I'm just like, dang it, how come I didn't get that? Uh, but, you know, like you just don't know what they're going to see in that spot. And they will see tracks. They will see all kinds of stuff. They'll just see the base of like clumps of grass and they'll just see it as a, as a view of like, this is what a mouse sees. This is what a grasshopper sees. This is what um, those small animals see. And then take them and put them in a lawn, put them in a larger lawn, like a big thick meadow, you know, where things are overgrown. Do the same thing, you know, in a pine forest. Um, the more varied your environment, the more times you can do this. And it's, it's really, really fun to do. And they get, they usually get a lot out of it. But again, start with like 15 minutes or 10 minutes, just see how they do. And then you can increase that. Uh, another one is called scent tracking. This is where I usually get like a couple of onions. I slice them in half and then I take them in the forest and the students are, are kind of are blindfolded or turned the other way. And I just lay a trail with that onion. I just go up and I kind of mash it up against the bark of a certain tree. And then I mash it up, you know, and there's a little bit of a breeze. It doesn't work that well when it's a really strong breeze, but if it's just a light breeze or very still, I will put that at about nose level for those children and I will lay out a trail that goes out, you know, probably like 50 feet, maybe a hundred feet, you know, and I wouldn't do like every single tree. I would just do like every other tree after you do, maybe do a few in the beginning close and then you can get a little bit further. And the idea is for them to smell what they smell. So it's really about them opening their nostrils, taking deep breath, and then smelling and seeing if they can follow their nose a little bit and smell that, that scent. If they can't smell it, then they, the idea is for them to make a circle and make it a bigger and expanded circle um, until they smell the next and the next one. And then when they know where that is, they go over to the tree, they smell it, and they go, okay, where's the next one? And sometimes they can actually see where you mash the... Uh, onion on there. I usually use like a big white onion that's got a really strong pungent smell. Um, you could probably use garlic. You could probably use, you know, other things that smell really fragrant too. So let your imagination go wild. <laughs> but but the idea, maybe use like California Bay laurel, you know, get some laurel leaves or branches or, you know, with bark and just scrub that on. And that's a really bright, fresh smell. That's really fun for them just to get an idea that how their nose, how they can smell things in the environment, even though we don't have the world's greatest sense of, of smell in the animal kingdom. But that's scent tracking, and that's really fun. I, I would refrain from like squirting uh, whatever aftershave or something on each of them. That would be nasty, but, but you could probably do that if the, if the kids are scent challenged or something. So the one thing I'm going to tell you is if – you are doing these activities. These are exercises. These are not like one-offs where you do that one time and then they go, oh yeah, we did that once. This is where you want to do that 10 step. You want to do it, you know, 10 or 15 times. You want to do fall the leader 10 or 15 times. Like you want to do all of the, whatever activities you're going to do, do it over and over again because it's through the repetition that you get better. And I can guarantee you if you do any of these and you do them, five times, six times, those students, their their perception of the world will change. It will change. I mean, does that mean they're going to get in Harvard? No, but not necessarily, I should say. 
But you look at this and go, you can't do that closer look and not look at the ground differently from that point on. And if you do that 10 times, you will suddenly realize like, oh, wow, I am standing here at the beach. I'm around, I, like you just start noticing more because your brain is now fixed on that level. There's a native saying that says, if you want to learn to track deer, then you want to go out and practice by tracking foxes. If you want to track foxes, then you want to track mice. So you want to start with tracking mice because if you can see mouse tracks in the sand or in the dirt and see the, you know 10 or 15 mouse tracks there, then a deer track is going to jump out at you like it's an elephant, right? That's the idea here. Um, foxes, um, the smaller you go, the more your brain is now fixed at looking for that level of detail. And you, it'll start picking up patterns from very far away. Your brain's all seeing it all the time anyway. We just, it doesn't register it as anything important because we don't tell it it's important. But if you start to get them to practice doing that and expanding their awareness, they will notice things at a very, very minute level. They will notice, you know, when a, a blade of grass has been chewed down by rabbits or chewed off by deer and they're, the chews are very different looking. You will be able to then go, oh, wow, hey, look at that. That bush just got nibbled by a deer two days ago. And that that's something that most people in this world will, will not know uh, to notice. They won't, it won't register for them. Now, again, is that super valuable? Eh, maybe, I don't know. I feel better knowing it because it just gives me more information. It gives me more level of confidence. And I, you know, I use this tracking all the time because I we live on a dirt road. I'm just kind of constantly um learning looking, seeing what the tracks say, you know, seeing how long ago it rained. Is anybody else driven down my driveway? Sometimes I'm like, I'll drive into our driveway and I'll just be like, oh, look, it looks like the propane guy came. My wife's like, what do you mean? And I go, oh, you can see the tracks of this big giant propane truck going down the road in this dirt. It's like a really, you know, pretty gravelly road. And she'll be like, I don't see anything. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, we'll go on a walk later. I'll show you the tracks. So she's, she's become a pretty good tracker just because she walks around with me and I point out stuff and she's like, what, what are you doing? And it's the repetition that makes her better. So every now and then she'll be on a walk and she'll be like, Hey, I saw bear tracks on the road. I'm like, really? And I walk down and I see it and I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty good. Like for you to notice that level of detail tells me that you're paying attention. She goes, I wasn't really even looking at it. It just popped out at me. So it's kind of neat to see that. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is this thing I call the art of questioning that Tom talks about. And this exercise was really cool for me when we first did it. And it's basically going up to a spot in nature and saying, tell me, ask me all the questions, write down all the questions you could think of to ask about what happened in this spot. You know, what questions do you have about this area right here? And at the time that we did this, it was actually in an old Boy Scout campground. So we actually went out and there was a tree that was next to a picnic table with a fire circle and a place to put a tent and so forth. We started asking questions and we wrote down as many as we could. There was about six of us. And we started by asking like, oh, what kind of tree is that? And like we asked sort of like these really basic level elements. And then 
you know, just things you could observe and then ask a question like, hey, what made that branch bend down? And what, why is the bark chipped off over here? And, and then Tom kind of challenged us and he's like, I want you to go a lot deeper, you know, after we went back to the classroom and then he, we read off our, our questions and he's just like, when you see a mark on a tree, you don't want to just think what made the mark, but also look at that and say, was that made because someone threw a knife and tried to stick it in the bark of the tree? Or is that from a hatchet? If it is a hatchet, was that person right or left-handed? If it is, you know, was the end of that tree a branch taken to make a hot dog stick? You know, if so, how long ago? Like, look at that tree really critically or those bushes around it and see not only what you're seeing right there, but see what's also missing. Is there, is there a spot in the foliage where there's a gap where there was a branch and someone made a marshmallow stick or something? And so he just started challenging us to really think it through, right? Like if there was a soda can there, he'd say, are there any dents in the, in the can? Did a, did somebody with a strong hand, grab it and which hand were they drinking with and was that something that someone threw you know and if so where were they sitting by the campfire when that happened five years ago because the cans all bleached you know from the sun so like this is like all in one class it just really blew my mind and so it's really about learning how to ask really detailed questions and be able to then not you're not going to know like how would we know unless we went back in time we wouldn't actually know what those answers are it makes you look and see things at a just a deeper level and it's really cool tracking will really add to the enjoyment of your experience and it will also if you know a little bit about it it will help you to guide them as well so that they can start to ask those good questions and feel good asking those questions and then beginning to find what are the answers. This is just a really brief overview of tracking. I have a bunch of good trackers that are on our show and I want to invite you to listen to what they're talking about. And uh, hopefully we're not using nomenclature, you know, language that uh, makes you feel not included. So I try my best to do that, but really enjoy that. And thank you for listening and thank you for all the things you do to help our children and our our adults and everybody to feel good and connect to the natural world. I appreciate you. All right. Until next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.